Bloodbath and Beyond episode 28. Hit those cassettes to record because you're going to want this episode on your summer mixtape. We're talking about James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's action and horror, it's horror and action, it's Bert and Casey, it's Casey and Bert. Bloodbath and Beyond. This is the new outer space adventure from Marvel Studios. Yeah, Marvel being the operative word here, because I doubt that um, just a standard sci-fi movie that wasn't part of some kind of franchise coming out in this day and age would generate that much excitement. I don't think so. This this is a picture that uh, reminds me of something like the Ice Pirates. And had it not <laughs> had the Marvel tagline, this movie would not be making the kind of money it is right now. And it's fine, because it's a perfectly entertaining picture. Oh, perfectly entertaining. I sense a bit of poison on your tongue. Poison? What could you possibly be talking about, Casey? Well, let's just get right into this movie, and we'll we'll find out how, how much of that venom is there. Uh, so, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, is, as we said, a Marvel film, and it's one of the first that really has branched into a set of heroes that the average layperson would not recognize immediately. Uh, these are characters that did not have any prior pop-cultural cachet. Yeah, uh, uh, the only one I had any familiarity, with whom I had any familiarity, was Rocket Raccoon, and that was because of him and his annoying pendulum assist in Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. A very deadly move, that yes, is. Yes, it is. So, uh, there's not really... You can't really blame anybody for not knowing these characters. Uh, they first appeared in the comics in 1969, created by Gene Colan and Arnold Drake. Uh, the lineup in that, t- in that day and age had none of the members in this movie. <laughs> in fact, the only character from the original team that appears in this film is Yondu, played by Michael Rooker from TV's The Walking Dead and uh, James Gunn's previous films. Yep. Uh, and, Yond- and Yondu in this movie is a villain, so... Uh, he's sort of a, a more benign bad guy. Yeah, he's, he's just a rogue that exists in this universe. Yeah. He's, he just kind of gets in the way here and there. But he serves his purpose. But the bigger thing here is that these characters were relaunched in 2008 by the team of Keith Giffen, Dan Abnett, and Andy Lanning uh, for an event called Annihilation. Now, the Guardians themselves did not appear in that that series. They appeared in the sequel series called Annihilation Conquest that followed the following year. And that introduced the lineup that we recognize. Um, It included Star-Lord Peter Quill, uh, played in this movie by Chris Pratt. It included Rocket Raccoon and Groot. Uh, Groot, who prior to this was a villain um, in the 1960s comics, uh, he was a mad scient. He was a living, sentient tree mad scientist that experimented on human beings. So he's so he's he- like Swamp Thing and the Floronic Man. Exactly. He's a he's a far cry from the character he has since become. Um, and also, of course, Gamora and Drax the Destroyer. Adam Warlock comes in and out of the team. And in this day and age, they've added Iron Man to the modern li- uh, run by Brian Michael Bendis. But of course. That's just because he's Iron Man, and they'll put him in anything they can now that people care about him. Ben dislikes Iron Man enough anyway, so... Exactly. Uh, but it's so if you haven't read any Cosmic Marvel, I recommend you can just skip all of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s stuff. Uh, they really hadn't appeared from 1994 to 2008, so you can jump right into Cosmic Marvel at that 2008 start point, and you'll be perfectly fine. Yeah, all I really know about anything Cosmic Marvel... 
prior to this was uh, stuff related to the X-Men, like the Shi'ar or the Scroll mm. or, or even the Watcher. Sure, or, or things from uh, Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four, which oh, include things like Galactus. Yeah, Silver Surfer, yeah. Yes, which were, uh, you know, and I, my understanding is that Fox still holds the rights to Fantastic Four, but Marvel desperately tried to get the rights to Silver Surfer and Galactus in particular back, and it makes me wonder if it wasn't for use in future Guardians films, but they were not able to do yes, it. Um, if you are keeping up with the internet news, and I'm sure you are if you're listening to this, a sequel has already been announced, and James Gunn has already updated his social media pages with a big thank you to people who've come out to see it, and that uh, he is already toiling away on the screenplay for the sequel. Well, you know, we can talk about that real quick, because A, according to James Gunn, this movie had the highest pre-orders in the history of the month of August for pre-sale tickets. I believe it. Uh, now, August is typically known as a throwaway month for movies. You know, your, your tentpole movies are from May to July for the summer season. Mm. So August is kind of the movie where, you were, where they used to be throwing movies they weren't as confident in. Um However, I, it seems like the economics of summer movies and, well, movie releases in general have changed for Disney with Marvel uh, because even Captain America came out in March, which is not a month that's necessarily associated with huge... It was that far huge... back? Yeah, it was March. Good golly. So, you know, it, it makes me think that Disney has realized as Marvel's parent company, they can put a Marvel movie out at any month they want to and people will show up. Mm-hmm. I think the last Thor movie was in November... Yeah, these are not these are not months you put those kind of movies out so on. They're having a, a few month uh, breather in between, I guess. <laughs> Summer yeah. has no relevancy anymore. No, it's on. We're on the Marvel beat. That's right. Yeah, that you're going to get as many Marvel movies as you can stomach, and uh, apparently the the public's willingness to uh, chew on whatever Marvel's giving them is pretty high right now. And as for me, I, I feel like it's pretty high for me as well. And when we mean Marvel, we mean Marvel Studios under Disney, yeah, yeah not Fox or we're not, Sony. We're not including the yeah, we're not including the X Men movies that are being released by Fox or the Spider Man movies that are being released by uh, Sony, even though those are doing pretty well too. Yeah. Um, I. It's kind of brilliant in a way uh, how these movies have all come together and somewhat ballsy, but Kevin Feige, the Marvel people, they were all gambling on the fact that they could really get people into the, the multi-movie mythology. And it's working. it's working. I mean, those those little, I mean, that all you had with the Guardians before this was that was a two-minute clip at the end of Thor 2 where we saw the Collector with one of the Infinity Gems. That was that was it. That was the lead-in, but that was enough to get people to go, oh, this involves that bad guy I saw at the end of the Avengers. Yeah, the glowy space MacGuffin. Initially, I was pretty skeptical about how, to gar- how a Guardians of the Galaxy movie could turn out, and I am uh, I'm quite the fan, if you didn't gather from my intro, uh, of Cosmic Marvel in general. But I, I suspected that what was going to happen with the Guardians of the Galaxy movie was that they were going to be characters that were brought in to be destroyed by Thanos. Yeah, that's what you so, were... You told me that a year ago, that you know, it'd be cool if they had a Guardians of the Galaxy movie and it'd be about all of them dying. Or building up Thanos. Yeah. But it seems like they have other plans. And, and I kind of shot down that theory as soon as they revealed that Ultron was the villain of movie two. Uh, so I guess we're really holding off on that Thanos thing until movie three. For Avengers 3, I mean. So, you know, I guess there's a lot of room to build up him in the sequels if they so... Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy sequels if they see fit. Yeah, there's a lot to build up for a guy who just sits on a chair and frowns all day. 
Yeah, until he gets that cosmic uh, infinity gauntlet and really wreaks havoc on the universe. So let's talk about uh, some of the cast, because this has one of the wackier casts I've seen in a movie in a long time. Sure. Uh, all the way from Chris Pratt being the leading man who's known as a TV comedian. Yeah, well, and I and I think that's really what, what cemented him the part. Um, the biggest thing about the Guardians since they've been relaunched in 2008 is that they they can do very serious stuff and face very serious threats, but there's always there's been that thread of humor that was especially present in Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning's run, and of course with Keith Giffen being the mind behind Justice League International, JLI with Booster Gold and Blue Beetle, you know that that vein of comedy has to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these were these are essentially characters that were played for laughs, even though they can deal with credible cosmic threats so chris pratt be, uh, plays andy in parks and rec and he is a he's sort of an affable chubby goofy guy uh peter quill not so chubby because as as it's uh, publicly known uh pratt lost 60 pounds to play this role because he was told that he was not going to be uh considered a viable contender unless he could lose 50 pounds so he asked them to give him six months and he really bulked up you know, playing a Marine in Zero Dark Thirty probably didn't help in the meantime. Uh, Navy SEAL. Yeah. Oh, Navy SEAL. Didn't hurt either way. Yeah, it didn't hurt either <laughs> way. Um, I, did, I wasn't too familiar because I haven't seen a ton of Parks and Rec. But mm-hmm. I, I think oh, I did. But, but you, I have seen enough. And I think they explained his weight loss as, oh, he stopped drinking beer. <laughs> well, you do you do know him from the Lego movie, however. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was in the Lego or He's the main character of the Lego movie. Uh, but so, but but Star Lord's role here is as sort of the space everyman. He is, uh, you know, as we learn in the film, he is born of human woman and space alien father. Uh, we don't really need to go too far into that because I'm sure the future films will explore his alien lineage. Yeah, with a really uh, awkward opening with his mother dying of cancer. And then he immediately gets abducted by aliens. I mean, immediately gets abducted yeah. by aliens. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, uh, just to set the stage for later, that is one of the less awkward introductions that some cosmic characters get. So <laughs> just, be, just be glad that we got what we got. <laughs> but yeah. mainly that was to set up the importance of his headphones and his Walkman. Yeah. I think it would have been cool if uh, if he had just referred to it, and we saw like the little relics of his Earth childhood. Yeah, instead of I could have played, I could play with that too. Yeah. But they 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 went for the emotional note right away. Yeah. It, it reminded me of uh, Super Eight with that really awkward and opening. I want you to feel sad now. This kid's mom's dead. I, I don't know. Thankfully, I don't. I don't. I don't think this was as dragged out. It wasn't as dragged out. No, it could have been much worse. It could have yeah. been. I mean, comic comic book movies and comics in general these days deal in suffering. So, you know, we 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 got a glimpse of his internal struggle, and then we're right off to space adventures. Yeah. I mean, right off, like he literally runs out of the hospital and is sucked into a tractor yeah. beam. Uh, also, of note is uh, the movie actually has opening credits. I have not seen that in a super or a, a, a comic book based movie in a long time. Uh, maybe they're. I think maybe they're trusting the audience's attention span yeah. these days. I, I think that's James Gunn's sensibilities. He's very much a throwback kind of guy, especially if you see the his Cap- movies like Slither. Mm. Yeah, I haven't seen previous James Gunn movies, although Slither's always been on my radar. Slither was terrific. Uh, Super was very good. So I've I've been a fan of James Gunn for a little while now. 
Uh, of note is the guy is a, he's an MFA recipient from uh, Columbia University, you know, Ivy League. He later mm. referred to that as a tremendous waste of money. <laughs> a, a really fancy way to lose a lot of money, as he put it. Which I think is a very easy thing to say when you get to direct a Marvel film for the budget that brings you. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, before that, he was working at Trauma Studios, uh, oh, writing yeah. stuff. And he, uh, I think he wrote the Scooby-Doo movies. I don't know if those I... were works of art. I, I kind of missed out on those. I think his sensibility really lends itself to this material. Yeah, he, he was the right guy for this material. Um, but Because, uh, I mean, let's let's kind of address real quick like how much this movie had to do. It's not, like, again, these are not characters the public recognizes in spite of the, in spite of, you know, Rocket Raccoon appearing in Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 or the Guardians of the Galaxy appearing in recent car- Marvel cartoons like Avengers Assemble. They're still not characters that, cov- that carry any pop culture weight. There's not any reason for the public at large to have any nostalgia for them unless they've already been reading the books. And considering that Abnett and Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy was cancelled and Bendis' did not begin until pre-production for this movie... I don't think there was a lot of those people out there. No, there wasn't. Uh, Even when uh, Rocket Raccoon was revealed for the Marvel game, everyone was going, why is Star Fox in this game? What's he doing? Yeah. So, but I, you know, I, I think they knew even back then. Like this, this is where they were leading to things, and they just really wanted people to, like recognize any character and go, "Oh, I know who that is. Yeah. I played him in a video game." I, I think uh, James Gunn saw this as his opportunity to make his uh, kind of classic Star Wars type of movie. It's very, it's more of a space adventure than anything else. There are no real costumed heroes. So who's who's next on our cast list? Yeah, I guess we got we'll kind go of to, a, uh... kind of ahead of ourselves here. That's okay. Uh... Big Dave Batista. Yeah. AKA WWE's Batista playing Drax the Destroyer. Uh, he is a he is an alien who is heavily tattooed and scarred and in the movie exists only to kill Ronan the Accuser, who is our villain, but in the comic book only exists to kill Thanos, but I guess they kinda led into that anyway later in the movie. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. He finds out who um, Thanos is, you know, and he's still pissed. I am not the biggest Dave Batista fan. Uh, in fact, I think he's quite a boring wrestler. He was part of that but... generation of wrestlers where I would turn on the TV and he was just the really huge guy, but there was nothing very dynamic about him. It's like, up, oh, changing this channel. Yeah, he, he had a recent comeback where he was booed heavily uh, and generally disliked by the audience who had already moved on to new stars. Mm. Well, he did talk down about some of his co-wrestlers for stuff like SmackDown. Yeah. Interview he was, where he said he no not... one was really pulling their weight in SmackDown or something. Yeah, he and he was he was known to insult uh, some indie darlings and stuff too, just on the internet in general, talking about how they were not as good as he was, even though they were wowing audiences with their more impressive work rate. But that's neither here nor there because I think in this film he does pretty well. Yeah, I mean in this movie. I've never seen Batista uh, give any lines before, actually. I've always just heard him growl and stuff. Uh, he's he's given some, but usually he kind of gave them really boredly and through sunglasses. Although he's he has that infamous line that I would love to quote, which is uh, that he told an opponent who had crushed a basketball in his hand that basketballs do not hold grudges, unlike Batista. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> 
I, I think that leads into uh, the hyper-literalism of Drax, though. Because I believe Drax, too, would say a line like, basketballs do not hold grudges. Uh, and In fact, that's where most of Drax's comedy comes from, is just that he does not understand metaphors, he does not understand figures of speech. He is as literal as can be. Actually, the funniest line in the movie was the, uh, nothing goes over my head too, <laughs> yes. too fast. <laughs> right after they said everything don't don't use figures of speech around him everything goes over his head <laughs> nothing goes over my, that actually made me laugh in the theater so congratulations I, there, to that Batista. your delivery yeah. worked there really well <laughs> it did uh I, when i when i said that um when i said star lord's uh, origin is one of the less awkward ones i will point out that they, they don't mention this in the movies and i doubt they ever will but in the, in the original comics in which Drax appears, he was a he was a earthbound saxophone player who was killed in a tragic accident from space uh, that, that killed his that killed his wife and daughter. So just be glad that we've got this much cooler version of Drax. He was infused with cosmic energies and briefly became an enemy to the Silver Surfer and, and ultimately wanted to kill Thanos, who was responsible for the accident that killed his wife and child. Oh, so it was accidental that Thanos killed his family? I think that that sort of ebbs and flows depending on who's writing it. But yeah, essentially it was just like they were just things in the way of what this space stuff was yeah, doing. Yeah, Ronan almost gives a, for me, it was Tuesday sort of speech to uh, Batista about his about murdering his family. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> uh, I'll get to Ronan in a yeah, bit. Yeah, Ronan. I... <laughs> I mean, the, the, this movie, uh, the strength of the film is that it is this ensemble of these kind of wacky characters and these wacky <laughs> casting decisions. Some of them yes, are successful. Uh, some of them are not. Um, let's go to uh, let's go to Zoe Saldana as Gamora. Zoe Saldana, who we last saw as Blue. Well, that's the last thing I remember seeing her in. Was Avatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, apparently, she was the one who insisted that uh, Gamora's look be more makeup based because she didn't want to do another CGI role. You know what? I don't blame her, and the makeup worked fine. I think. Yeah, I think she looks good. Green. Yeah, I got the uh, the Green Girl uh, Star Trek vibe from her. If anyone watches classic yeah. Star Trek, there's also there's even a Star Trek Six reference. There's a scene right out of that movie where a giant hulking brute inside of the space prison. Threatens our good guys, and then he's taken out in one hit. And that's the scene where uh, Groot and Rocket... Rocket does all the talking. They're kind of like Master Blaster. Yes. And even... uh, Well, let's get to them right now. Yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about yeah, Rocket Raccoon and Groot. Uh, Rocket Raccoon voiced by Bradley Cooper. Groot voiced by Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. That has to be the easiest paycheck he ever received. Did he do the motion oh. capture for Groot? Yes. Okay. Uh, actually, there's quite a few points in Vin Diesel's favor here, especially to hear uh, James Gunn tell it. First and foremost, uh, Vin Diesel's previous voice work was playing the Iron Giant, in which it was a very emotional role with limited lines that used his the, the bass in his voice to good effect. Yeah, I have not seen uh, that one. I recommend it heavily to anyone listening and to you. Uh, so Groot... Uh, he only has one line. I am Groot. He says it over and over. But but according to James Gunn, Vin Diesel is a perfectionist. So when he came in to record it, he insisted that he wanted to know the emotion that the character was feeling every time he said it. Yeah. 
Rocket Sick. and Groot sort of have the Chewie and Han solo rapport where Chewie would just have his I can't do the noise and of course Han could easily interpret it every time. Yeah. It's the exact same thing Rocket here. Is the same. Yeah. Um also just to to Vin Diesel's credit, allegedly he also recorded the lines in Russian, Mandarin, Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese and French. That's impressive. So that everybody so that everyone would hear his voice doing the line. <laughs> It's either impressive or kind of pretentious. I don't know which one. <laughs> I I dig it. I dig yeah. it. I think actually I think Groot is almost the emotional core of the film. He and Rocket were the best. I think they're my favorite characters yeah. in the movie. They steal every scene they're in. They do. They do easily. Um, Groot, of course, is a living tree. We should say. Yeah. <laughs> we should make that clear. He is a he is just a. Tin, a variably sized giant walking tree who is just full of life and uh and again uh that that was one of the reasons that vin diesel allegedly took the role was that he this was the first movie he'd done after paul walker died mm. and he liked that he liked the idea of playing something as alive as a sentient tree it made him feel better you know if if there were a swamp thing movie made it would probably be really similar, or at least he would move the same way as Groot does in this movie. Have the same sort of... Be a, a little more philosophical. Be a little more philosophical, <laughs> a little creepier, maybe. But they do all the same stuff, basically. Yeah. And uh, as for Rocket Raccoon, uh, this... First of all, this is the character that has been uh, saddled with all of Twitter's best jokes. And by I say best jokes, I mean they all tell the same joke. You mean we? You mean DC can't give us a movie featuring Wonder Woman, but Marvel puts a talking raccoon in a movie? Oh, over and over. You'll just just some template of Marvel or DC won't give me this character. They have the talking but, raccoon. Yep. But you know what, guys? I think the fact that they put a talking raccoon in the movie is a good sign that you're going to see a lot of weird C-list characters in the future. I dig that, man. I dig that. So, maybe we'll see Doppelganger in a Spider-Man movie. Just mm-hmm. yet. Let's talk about why Rocket works, though. Because this is a character that could have easily been grating and annoying and not worked out as a cute mascot character could tend to be. A lot of that has to deal with Bradley Cooper's voice acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, he's, as he put it, he's kind of the Joe Pesci sort of Goodfellas yeah. character in the movie. I, I don't know. I, I think the writing plays a part too, though. I mean, you Rocket gets to be gruff, and there's a I think there's a pr- pretty good scene uh, when he's drunk and he gets to talk about his origin a little bit and passing about how he feels like a he feels like a monster all the time and how he thinks that's how everyone else sees him mm-hmm. because that elevates him to a slightly tragic character and not just a quippy thing with guns. Actually, I feel like out of every character in the movie, Star Lord included, I felt like he was the most three dimensional. You know, and I, I'm not even like trying to make a pun or anything. He really was. Yeah, very well rendered. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, but speaking of the CG with the character, I think you know some of the CG with like the the big spaceship battles and stuff was kind of you know standard issue. But with Rocket, it was especially it was very good. Yes. I even love the detail they put in where he wakes up from sleeping and all of his fur is messed up like he has a cowlick. Yeah, they they put a lot of that work was a into nice that. touch. That was a nice touch. Uh, my understanding too is that um, James Gunn's brother was the one who did the mocaps for Rocket. Sean, Sean Gunn. Yeah. Sean Gunn's even in this movie, and I believe he's in. I remember him in uh, Super. He's the guy who gets hit by the car, and uh, Slither. I'm sure he's in that one. I haven't seen that movie in long enough to remember who he was there. 
So let's, I guess let's talk about the supporting cast then. Yeah, that, that kind of, that does round out our, our heroes. Main and I, and, I, and really the strength of the movie is their interactions. Yeah. Uh, I, I Th- think that, that is, the cast that is, is the best part of the movie is where they're sitting around hanging out. And I also think that's, that was, that's the, that was, became the focus of the movie to the detriment of other characters. But I feel like those other characters are not as important in the grand scheme of establishing who this cast of characters are to the world essentially to set them up for future things yeah. i mean the rest of the cast is pretty wacky and there is the michael rooker you know and get out get to as a yondu who is a james gunn staple he's been in almost everything he's done i don't know if he even did he voice act in the uh, lollipop chainsaw i don't know probably. probably uh michael rooker i think is a favorite actor of james gunn because james gunn has said that his favorite horror movie or the one that affected him the most was henry portrait of a serial killer oh he said that one traumatized him and it bothered him that it uh made him empathize with such a disgusting person as and michael rooker of course now has a lot more fame nationally as the as one of the uh racist <laughs> Oh, uh, Merle. Uh, Merle, yeah. yeah. One of the bikers from The Walking Dead who, well, you know, spoiler alert, he's no longer on The Walking Dead, so he can do movies again. I've I've always been a fan of uh, Michael Rooker. Really solid character actor. I think he's he's well cast here. Very solid always. Uh, he he kind of he he has the, he's just a very slimy character in this. Uh, the the really the only vestige of Yondu as, as the comic character that exists in him is that he's blue and he has that arrow that he can control by whistling. Oh yeah, he has like and his mohawk glows when it starts moving around. Yes, at least they. It's a, it's a, it's a cool yeah, scene. they do build it up nicely that you know he's been threatening people. It's like okay, big deal. He's got this arrow. Oh, that's what he can do with it, and he can cause a good bit of destruction with it. Oh, he's really dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have Karen Gillan as Nebula, character uh, Karen I have Gillen. I've also never heard of. Uh, Karen Gillan, um, best known as Amy Pond in Doctor Who. Uh, uh, see, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, she's she's one of the companions. She's one of the more recent ones, and pretty well known by sci-fi nerds. Yeah. Uh, but she shaved her head bald for this movie. Um, mainly, you need to know Nebula just because she's she's one of Thanos's daughters, uh, and has a big role to play in the original Infinity Gauntlet story. Mm-hmm. The Kree stuff and all that. She's supposed to be Kree, right? Uh, I for, I you know I, I I'm gonna shame myself here by saying I forget what race she is. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, uh, the rest of the cast uh, it's almost like well, cameo roles where they don't really get to do anything well no well, that, I think that's telling that you just said that because we didn't talk about Ronan the Accuser <laughs> the, one of the most unmemorable villains I can remember <laughs> which is a shame which is a shame okay first of all Ronan the Accuser was introduced in Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's run of Fantastic Four uh, he is a if I wanted to characterize him, he started as a villain. He's gradually become more of an anti-hero. Uh, I would almost say that he, at his best, is an alien Judge Dredd, except that he he enforces Kree law onto anyone else in the universe, whether those laws apply to him, whether they're outside of his jurisdiction or not. He is just an extremist that believes in justice. And I don't feel like any of that comes through in this movie. No, here he's pretty much Skeletor. One-dimensional, boring... What are you doing? 
Yeah, I, I think his makeup looks good, but because uh, I, I definitely couldn't tell it was Lee Pace from Pushing Daisies. Um, but I, I think, I think he's fine here, just because I think the whole point of the movie was to establish the heroes and who really cares who the villain is right now. Mm-hmm. And so the, he, he has some, I don't know, reason to hate the Zandarians. So <laughs> just, just go with it. Give him a gem. Let him run wild. But mainly we want to stick with this core cast of heroes. Yeah. I mean, the, the other characters we do have are there to be, hey, isn't it weird that it's John C. Riley acting like a John C. Riley character? Yeah. And then Glenn Close with nothing to do. Oh, man, that was... It was she weird does nothing seeing Glenn Close in the do so. She just kind of barks she did, a few orders. And, oh, it's Glenn Close. She did so little. Oh, it's Glenn Close. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, and uh, and uh, British comedian Pira, uh, Peter Peter Serafinowicz. I actually don't know how to say his name. I've seen him in a ton of stuff, including Shaun of the Dead. But um, <laughs> apologies to British listeners. I don't know your comedian's name off the top of my head. Sorry. I like him though, but he has nothing to do in this movie either. Yeah. And Benicio del Toro as as the collector. collector. Yeah, I was hoping uh, to see him more in the movie. It's a little disappointed. Yeah, so was I. So was I. I. I liked the glimpses we got of his collection. I like the cosmonaut dog. Oh, uh, that's actually that's actually one of the guardians. What? Oh, really? Yeah, Cosmo the space dog is a telepathic dog with a Russian accent. Well, I wish they included the latter part because all he does is just kind of lick Benicio del Toro's face. Yeah, I think that was just a little shout out to people who had read Abnett and Lanning's run. Uh... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he just he was part of the collection, but yeah, he's Cosmo the space dog. Well, that's groovy. Uh, so hey, maybe they'll include him in the future in some way. I don't think they wanted too many wacky animal characters. This you can only jam pack so many into your movie, but hey, it's making a lot of money. And you know yeah. the reason we've gone over the cast so much is because really the strength of the movie is the, cast. the, the main cast and how they interact together, and they do have some yeah. funny moments together. I I. I, I yeah, even the the Footloose thing was funny. Oh yeah, yeah, the the great legend of Kevin Bacon. Just like the heroic Kevin Bacon, yeah. And Kevin Bacon <laughs> was in James Gunn's last movie, Super. You played the huh. bad guy in that one. So, I think that it all comes. It full all circle. comes full circle. It was released around the same time as uh, X Men First Class, so we had double Bacon as bad guy. <laughs> double Bacon all the all way. All the way. Burned to a crisp. So uh, let me. I guess uh, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna open the floor to you because I know you probably want to talk about some negatives here. You know, I already mentioned a few, and a big one was the the villain. He's completely unmemorable. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he's about as one dimensional as you can get, and that has been a fault of several of these Marvel movies. Um, I haven't seen the Thor pictures, but I knew that was a mm-hmm. constant complaint, especially with the last one. Well, I don't know. I think. I think. Um... Well, if you're talking about uh, Malkieth, the Dark Elf, then yeah, he's pretty one-dimensional. Although, there's still plenty for Loki to do, because Loki is Marvel's bad guy poster boy now. I'm totally fine. He's kind of the shining star of villainy, because uh, the actor who plays him... uh, He's really good. Tim Middleton, yeah. I can't remember his name. Tom Middleton. Tom Middleton. Oh, God. Terrible. I'm I'm not a (laughs) fanboy of him, but I really think he's great in his role. And he clearly loves it. He yeah. just chews up the scenery. And, and the it, fangirls love oh, him. Oh, yeah, they do, don't they? It's all about being British. 
See, you know, Bloodbath and Beyond, we promise to mangle your British name. The British name. <laughs> uh, I also think Red Skull was completely wasted in his movie. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't. I, I guess I can't disagree with that too yeah. much. Uh, yeah, in here, unfortunately, Guardians of the Galaxy continues that tradition, but the movie really is about this gang of weirdos, misfits, outcasts, and for that, it is successful. You know, I, I, I gotta say, I think that's where Marvel movies in general really shine, is the characterization of the heroes. So, yeah, kind of the reverse of the, the Batman series. Where... Uh, because, I mean, th- you think about think about Avengers, too, and what really works about Avengers more than anything is the interaction between the Avengers characters and establishing them. And if, you, if you're if you a Marvel comics and you want people to care about your characters, the best thing you can do is go, hey, look how cool this guy is, and look how cool that guy is. I mean, that really started with Iron Man, too, because... Iron Man's always been, you know, an important Avenger character, but he, but you know, after Robert Downey Jr. and you know, and John Favreau characterized him the way they did, he became a, you know, A level character. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I kind of have a problem with is the action. The action was, with the exception of uh, the introductory scene of Rocket and Groot, I thought it was pretty standard issue, and even. Kind of bland. It all kind of runs together for me. But I do like the initial action sequence because everyone has something to do, and what they do demonstrates his or her personality in yeah. their in their mos. Are we talking about the the chase sequence and the bounty? And... Yeah, uh, the prison escape sequence was pretty good too, because of mm-hmm. the Groot gag with him spreading. Well, and I and I liked I liked sort of the 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 fa- yeah the Groot gag leading to the fast pacedness of everyone having to do a different piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, I think it was shot a little. I think it was uh, framed a little too closely, and I was disappointed because I wanted to see Batista cut loose. The guy does have, in addition to being a wrestler, he's an MMA background too, so he's pretty. A, and he's a he's a pretty big man. Big so. boy, yeah, he can toss you around. Did he throw a Batista bomb in it? I can't remember. I don't recall it. I think I would have noticed. Yeah, I think you would have. Well, he should have. Maybe they'll save that for part yeah. two. I think there's going to be a demand for, where's the Batista bomb? Everyone wants to know. But maybe he did it and I blink, and apologies if I did. Yeah. I tried not to blink this whole movie, guys, I promise. Yeah. I didn't want to miss any cameos. So I, I'll, I'll congratulate the effects department. I think they put their attention in the right area, and that was, well, Rockin' and Groot. I think they were animated very well. And with the exception of, you know, shots here and there, I think they look very lifelike, like you could touch them. I, I, you know, I can't say the same about all the space battles and the Nova City and all that. Can I tell you something I'm a little disappointed in? I think I have an idea of what it is, but go ahead and say it. <laughs> okay, well, I, again, I can't, I can't profess but so much disappointment because, like I said, the important part of this movie is to really elevate the the main five characters to get people to know who they are and to make them entertaining and interesting. And I think the movie succeeds at that. It, is, it is successful uh, in that area. Yes. However, I really wish the, the Nova Corps had been a little more interesting than they were. They were a bunch of goofballs. They were kind of a glorified Starfleet, is what they were. Yeah. Because the Nova Corps in comics are essentially Marvel's answer to the Green Lantern yeah. Corps. Uh, they are they wear they wear helmets that empower them to connect to something called the world mind, which essentially turn them into human rockets overflowing with nova energy. <laughs> uh, so you just have you just have this visual of a lot of people like blasting off like rockets, 
Um, the most famous of which is Richard Ryder, the man that you know, we just know as the Nova of Earth. Yeah. So just Nova. They're, they're kind of like uh, the Green Lantern equivalent in the Marvel Universe. Space cops. Yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 with the coolest component being that the world mind computer actually talks to them and helps them analyze any threats in the area and do, you know, and do and like learn various things or identify identify odd bits of cosmic Marvel trivia that they can use for expositional purposes without having to interrupt the action. Mm-hmm. Um, I so I but you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna place my bets that we're probably going to see an elevated role for the Nova Corps in a future movie and probably have that Richard Ryder character appear. Yeah, the big fanboy wishful think bit of wishful thinking was that Nathan Fillion was going to surprise everyone as Nova. It didn't happen. I'm just going to spoil that for you right there. He would have been okay, but yeah. I yeah, I mean Nathan Fillion's just the guy people want to see in anything anymore. I Nathan guess. Fillion was also in the previous uh, James Gunn pictures. So ah. he plays a TV superhero in Super and he's the star of Slither. He plays he's actually really good as a, a southern sheriff in that one. There were quite a few people who wanted to see him voice Cosmo the dog. <laughs> so they just want him to do something, but he is he is in this movie but in a role that's very unexpected. Yeah. I won't say what it is. You have to see the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I am familiar with Nova at least. He, he popped up but, in a few like Spider-Man annuals or something that I had. Like he's been par- he's been part of the New Warriors. The New Warriors, Speed yeah, Speedball, yeah. uh, Silhouette. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of '90s comics you and I grew up a lot around <laughs> yeah. that Nova featured. Yeah. And uh, Namorita, um, the female mm-hmm. Namor. And you know, and again, he's another character that popped up in Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom three. He's my favorite character to play as in that game yeah, too. That so top tier bastard. <laughs> But uh, you know, there's there's plenty of room for them to introduce him later. But you know, we talked about John C. Riley and uh, Glenn Close. Glenn Close, who does nothing in this movie but keep her eyes tremendously wide and read a couple of exposition lines and then disappear. I bet if someone asked her about this movie, she'd be like, "What? Oh, <laughs> it was a job." Was, I think my grandson asked me to be in this. I want to tell you about 101 Dalmatians instead. I'll tell you about you know when I was nominated for Oscars and. You know, when I played Sunny Von Bierlau. When I was in Fatal Attraction and made men terrified to cheat on their wives. Yeah, you know, everyone <laughs> protected their pet bunnies and everything. But anyways. I like- uh, we're definitely probably going to see more John C. Riley though, just because they made a point of showing us in the ending montage him with his alien wife and child. Yeah, I like John C. Riley. He's one of those comedians like Bill Murray. You just have to look at him and you start laughing. I think people, I think people, were, myself included, were waiting for him to do something wackier than he actually does in the movie. He just has a, he's just John C. Riley. Yeah, <laughs> that's all. He, he, he does. Which you know, I, I'm okay yeah. with. If you're gonna give me, you know, if you're gonna give me characters that have that purpose, at least make them people that I like watching. Yeah. There was a lot of, there was a lot of comedians in this movie. There was a lot of, you know, even beyond the obvious. Oh, and uh, and Jimon Hansu does pretty good as Korath, the space cop. <laughs> I liked him. I, I thought he was yeah, he's yeah. kind of a cool bounty hunter. He had that weird uh, metal or computer thing embedded in his head. Yeah, we forgot to mention him. I, I know I know. Jimon Hansu has been wanting to be in a superhero movie of some kind because his son allegedly told him that he wished he were more light-skinned so he could grow up to be someone like Spider-Man. Oh. So it was important for him to be in a superhero movie just to show him that uh, people of color could be 
characters in those kind of films and could be superpowered. Yeah. I, I do like with this picture, uh, it does have that Star Trek vibe of different races working together for a common yeah. goal. Everyone using their abilities, their differences, uh, embracing them. Mm-hmm. And even when they screw up, because like I said, that, that, uh, that initial action scene with the, the main core of the Guardians, they all screw up bad. We're told that uh, Gomorrah is this great fighting machine. She keeps screwing up. Star-Lord, he's some kind of cool Han Solo guy. He's always tripping up and getting captured. Yeah, he's a slightly more bumbling Han Solo. Yeah. <laughs> but, he's still, but he's still not a pushover. This movie kind of has two Han Solos, Rocket and Star-Lord. And Groot doesn't respond to orders as well. He doesn't know who to put in the sack. <laughs> Yeah, he's he just he just he's kind of childlike. He just ventures into things. Whatever whatever Rocket seems to suggest, he's down with. Yeah. So I, I will give the movie props for that because so often in action movies, we're introduced to the the badass who is the master of twenty different martial arts, and they have the quick cutting scene where they take out like a whole SWAT team. It's getting a little old and a little predictable. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to see the good guys screw up a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, and I'm, I'm happy with the pacing of this movie. I don't really feel like there was ever any downtime for things just to be boring or drag There wasn't downtime, and the movie was never in a giant rush either. Because so many superhero movies, you know, we've got to run to the next action scene. This one, uh, you know, for being a fast-paced movie, it's a fast-paced movie that takes its time. It let the characters chill out and do yeah. downtime things. I actually think ever a like better a Guardians of the Galaxy movie would be one with uh, actually less action and more of them just being goofy. It's not not a sitcom format, but you know, you get to know them and then you get to be your friends in a way. I think uh, I think the comics would agree with you there actually. Uh, unless they ha- they crossed over into a lot of the cosmic events because they were always sort of focal to them after Annihilation Conquest. But the Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning run I keep referring to used a lot of panels that looked like uh, those personal interviews you see in reality shows. So they could get characters reactions to things off panel. Hmm. So, so I, I think that they agree with you that 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 sort of is where they shine more. But uh, you know, I, I think naturally, being what they're going to be, you're going to get a lot more, a lot more action in the future installments, especially if they're going to build up Avengers three for Thanos. Mm-hmm. So, it's nice to see a Marvel movie or a superhero picture where it's not about them being dark, brooding, and they hate the world. So. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what you want out of a summer movie, I think. <laughs> and, absolutely, and that's what the future sequels should be should yeah. be all about. All right, so so would you recommend people see absolutely. it? Absolutely, I think it's a fun movie. I don't think all right. There's people going around online saying this is on par with classic Star Wars. It's the best sci-fi picture in 25 years. Those people are what we call delusional. I, yeah, that, that, I think that's a bit of an overreach. That is a I can huge agree with overreach. I think this is, it's an entertaining picture. It's a good Saturday afternoon type of movie. Um, it's not necessarily going to knock your socks off, but... It's a movie I'd watch again, which is more than I can say for some of the stuff I've seen yeah. lately. So it's one of the better Marvel pictures, mm-hmm. and it benefits from being different. I really do feel like this has been a good year for Marvel movies, uh, between this and Captain America 2. Yeah. Are there any others coming out? Uh, before the year's up? N- uh, no, actually, not until Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh. They're going to give us a pretty much a full year break. That's surprising. 
So they're yeah, not going I, on the Marvel beat like I had uh, hypothesized. Actually, that's what happened in between Captain America and uh, Avengers as well, the first Captain America movie. Uh, they they took a year off and then put an Avengers out and then they prepared the next phase. Uh, so this is the end of well, Avengers will be phase the, two. Yeah, phase two. So after that will be phase three with Ant-Man, which I'm feeling a lot less now that Edgar Wright's off the picture. Uh, Captain America I've 3. I completely Doctor lost St- interest in the Ant-Man movie. Completely lost <laughs> yeah. interest. Uh, Captain America 3, which has the same team as the previous film. Uh, Doc- yeah, Doctor Strange, which I'm looking forward to. Who's playing Doctor and Strange? Not announced. Okay. That's probably going to be like one of those big Comic-Con things next year. Okay. Don't take away from Avengers 2 right now. You know, just get people... Like They'll announce it at some point, and it'll be somebody probably notable. I imagine there'll uh, be an the, Avengers trailer probably around Christmas time. Which would seem to suggest that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 will be the immediate lead-in to Avengers 3. Okay. I'm cool yeah. with that. So, uh, do you want to you wanna go into... Oh, I, I'll say real quick. I do recommend the movie. Uh, I, I rank it slightly behind Captain America 2 as my current favorite Marvel movie. Um, and that, and I, when I say Marvel movie again, I'm not including stuff by Sony or Fox or any of that. Yeah. Although, although I'd probably rank those above even those ones. Um, so now I, I want to move into a spoiler section and give people who ha- who don't want to be spoiled on too much, even though we said a lot already. Uh, we're we're going to talk about post credit sequence, a couple other things. So if you guys want to tune out now, we'll give you about ten seconds. Yeah. Hey, cool, man. No problem. No problem at all. Who are you? Star-Lord. Who? All right, so, that post-credit sequence. Yes, um... Well, it was more of a... It was an Easter egg for fans, really, and it... I I think I should give you the honors. (laughs) Well, it's, uh... It was the Marvel Cinematic Universe debut of Howard the Duck. Yep, we have not seen him on screen in, I don't know, 25 years since, uh, since when that Howard the Duck movie was made. The, the audience I saw it with definitely was not aware that Howard was a comic char- Marvel character, let alone a comic character. Uh, that was pretty much the same reaction that the audience in my crowd got so, in my theater. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I think that maybe that was the litmus test, because I bet James Gunn went, you know, it'd be great to bring Howard the Duck back. It's like, okay, we'll test the character and see how the audience reaction is. And if everyone hates him and doesn't know who he is, uh, you know, we might be a little iffy on him. But since this movie's doing well, Guardians, that is. I I don't predict that Howard's ever going to get his own movie again. I don't think he's going to be like a major player in future Guardians or Marvel movies, but I think as a cameo, he is perfectly suited. Um, And just, I liked that immediately after his appearance, they gave an immediate credit to Steve Gerber. They did. That was very, uh, very respectful. Yeah. Steve Gerber has unfortunately left this world, but left behind some very, very funny Howard the Duck comic books, which I recommend you go out and look for if you don't recognize this character, because they are far better than the George Lucas movie. And there was the great Batman the Animated Series episode he wrote with the Creeper. Yes, <laughs> that's one of my favorite Batman animated episodes. <laughs> Steve Gerber was a great comedy writer who happened to work in comics, and more people should read him. Yeah. Uh, this movie also shows, yeah, we already mentioned Thanos quite a bit, and it's mm-hmm. definitely but- Josh Brolin's voice. 
Yeah, we, but we finally got to see him do a speaking role. Like, we hadn't seen him actually, just, like, really do or say anything. I don't even believe that Josh Brolin was the one playing him at the end of Avengers. No, I think they just had animated something, and it was a big smile. Here yeah. it was definitely uh, bits of his face incorporated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we saw the whole throne. I mean, he's definitely here. I was still really bored by him. I went, okay, big deal. He's some evil guy in a chair. I think they just wanted to remind most people, like, remember the guy at the end of Avengers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah I do. Also, I was curious because in the movie he goes, you've alienated my favorite daughter. And that was a scene where only Zoe, only, uh, I say, yeah, Zoe Saldana and Gamora had told Star-Lord, well, I'm actually going against Thanos and Ronan and all those guys. How did Thanos know that? Uh, I guess he. I, mean, I guess it was a script writing error or something. Well, that or or it might count. It might depend on what gems he has currently. Oh, see, I don't know anything he, about the Infinity Gauntlet, gems, space MacGuffins. The the Infinity Gauntlet, the, the gems give you various cosmic powers, uh, and so essentially when you when you've gathered them all, you attain a sort of godhood. Mm-hmm. So there, he might. I don't. I don't know. I haven't followed closely enough which gems he he already has, but I think he already has like two. So. Maybe he already has a way of knowing things or seeing things. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll accept that, I guess. That is a very minor complaint for this picture. <clears throat> because Certainly. it does not Certainly. affect the story at all. It no. really doesn't. Uh... I think that means that, as for me, I think that about does it for my opinions of the movie. Yeah. I, I just over, I overall think it's good. I think that if you are on the fence about it, you should go check it out. I think he'll have a good time, even if you, especially if you don't know who these people. This are. is a really solid, like Saturday afternoon type of movie, like yep. and one you can pop into your DVD player years from now and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, good kid entertainment, all ages entertainment. <clears throat> That's right. So, uh, from a from a franchise on the rise in all these Marvel movies, we're going to return. <laughs> To a franchise that we have to pick the remaining meat from. Yep. <laughs> We're going to go back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, talk about the prequel, Leatherface. Going back to Texas. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, yeah. Uh, if it seems like we procrastinated on that one, we did. But we're going to get that one done very, very soon, along with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4, the new generation. So look out for the buzz, because it's coming back. <laughs> Leatherface! With that said, I'm Casey Mitchell. I'm Burton Cody. Stay bloody, my friends. What a bunch of a-holes.